Leonardo da Vinci is known for many things. He's known for many amazing things. Uh, one of the things that he's less known for is uh, a quote, uh, a word that he uh, gave uh, towards the end of his life. He said, I wasted my hours. Uh, he left this quote, and people have been left to guess as to what it might mean. Why did he feel, having accomplished all that he accomplished, why would he feel that he had wasted his hours? Uh, some people feel uh, it, it was because of his, uh, his perfectionism. He was notorious for not finishing his work. He would start into something, and because his standards were so high, he would feel it was not good enough. And so partway through his, his uh, work, he would abandon it and start something new. And so maybe for that reason, people say maybe he felt he'd wasted his hours. Other people say it was because he pushed himself in too many directions. He wasn't focused enough. Um, many of you know that he was a sculptor. He was a painter. He was an architect, an astronomer, an engineer, a cartographer. He had many gifts. And yet many people say if he would have focused his energies in one area to the exclusion of others, he could have accomplished so much more. So maybe that was why he wasted his, his hours. But at least one of the ways that he could, said to, could be said to have wasted his hours with, was with his most famous painting. Uh, the Last Supper is without a doubt Leonardo da Vinci's most famous work. And yet... His, uh, uh, his work was, in one sense, a waste. Incredible gifts, incredible talent, uh, and he poured some three years into this painting. But when he did it, he did it with a style of painting called secco. Secco is where, instead of painting onto wet plaster so that the paint gets actually absorbed into the plaster as it dries and, and so kind of locks in and preserves those paints and colors. He, he did this uh, seco style where he painted on dry plaster. And so almost as soon as he was finished his painting, it began to deteriorate, began to disintegrate. So much so that even after having... Uh, many attempts at restoration and renewal, uh, very little of the Last Supper actually remains today. Incredible artist, incredible gift, uh, incredible investment of his time, three years of his life, and it's gone. And um, people would say, I think that's one of the ways that he wasted his hours. Uh, few of us have the talent of da Vinci. Few of us have the vision and the uh, abilities that he had. But I think there's something inside all of us that wants to lead useful lives. Uh, we want to give ourselves to things that matter. Uh, we want our words to, to make a difference. We want to influence people in positive ways. Uh, if, you're, if you're a parent and you have children... Your hope is that your words will have an effect in blessing your children and helping them to grow in ways that would be positive and honoring to Christ. If you're a Christian, you know that you have been given a message. You've been given a mission, a, 
a, a mandate to share good news with people around you. And it's your hope that your words would have some effect, that you would be able to influence people in um, positive ways that would bless them. And yet, like da Vinci, many will come to the end of their life and say, I think I wasted my hours. I think I wasted a lot of my years. I'm not sure I had the effect that I was hoping to have. I believe today's passage is intended to help us avoid that, is to give us some direction towards how we can think about our life and our influence in such a way that we don't waste our hours, that we don't waste our breath, that we can have uh, the impact and the influence that God would have us to have. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me. We're in First Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, and I'll be reading from verses 1 to 16. In your pew Bibles, you can turn to page 927. Again, it's First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error, impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. This is the word of God. Now the first mindset that Paul gives us here to not waste our breath, to have the kind of impact with our lives that God would have us to have is to live in such a way that we would find our acceptance in God and not in people. Because it is trying to keep everybody happy that is often at the root of uh, not saying the things and not doing the things that God would have us to say, God would have us to do. And so we're called to 
find our acceptance in God, not in people. Now, in verses 1 and 2, Paul is reflecting on his last visit to Thessalonica. It was hard. It was dangerous. Uh, It ended with him being chased out of town, as we saw last time. But despite despite that, it wasn't a da Vinci. Uh, In verse 1, he says, it was not in vain. He had not wasted his hours. He had had an impact and a lasting impact. In fact, so much so that when you get to the end of the chapter, you see that even though he had this short time among them, he had such an impact that they were standing up in the midst of trial and difficulty and opposition, and they were shining as light for Jesus Christ. But this mission of his could have been over before it began. Because in verse 2, he talks about suffering and being shamely treated in Philippi. When he went into that town, he and Silas had met opposition. They had been stripped and beaten with rods. They were held in prison stocks. They were imprisoned. And you face that kind of opposition, and it can make you gun-shy. You want to step back and say, what do I need to do to avoid that happening again? How do I... How do I not get myself in another situation like this? And yet, despite that, despite that natural inclination that people would have, he picked himself up from his time in Philippi and continued on to Thessalonica and walked right into town and did the exact same thing that had got him beaten and imprisoned just a few days earlier. Paul says in verse 2, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. He goes on to lay out what gave him that boldness. What what made him pick himself up and go back in to another situation that was liable to end just as poorly? What gave him that courage and that strength? If he just wanted to gain a popular hearing, he would have changed his message. If he wanted to keep everyone happy, he would have modified his plans, held back. And yet he does neither of those things and walks in because he wasn't living to please people. In fact, in verse 3, he describes his motives. He knew, first of all, that his message was true. He wasn't out to deceive anyone. There was no tricks or games that he was playing. He believed that he had been given truth, that he had been called to share. Similarly, in verse 5, he said that there was no flattery or greed on his part. If he was just out to get into people's good books, to have people think well of him, to gain followers, again, he would have changed the message. He would have changed the method. And yet, he felt this sense of divine compulsion that moved him to press forward. He was bold. In verse 4, he makes it clear that he was convinced that God had entrusted him with the gospel. So, so much so that when he opened his mouth, he says his goal was not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And in verse 6, he says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Although he says that, I think that many people will come to the end of their lives and feel and recognize that they have, in fact, wasted their hours. That... They will have regret at the things that were not said, the things that were not done. 
And people will say, I, I didn't say the things I needed to say because I was too busy trying to keep everybody happy. I didn't do the things that I should have done because I, th I thought too little of God and too much of what people thought about me. If you're a Christian, you've been entrusted with the gospel. You've been given a message of hope, and that message is not just for you and you alone, but it is yours to share. We've been called to speak, and God expects us to be more focused on what pleases him than on what pleases other people. He calls us to, to share. If, if God has given you children, if you're a parent, God has called you to say some things and to do some things to bring pleasure to him. But many Christians will come to the end of their parenting and feel like they've wasted too many of their hours. They've wasted their breath. They'll realize once it's too late that they spoke too little to please God and too, too much to keep their child happy. And you could go to the other extreme and be rude and insensitive and abrasive, and obviously that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what God's Word is talking about. But if your primary goal is to keep your child happy, it'll keep you from saying and doing the things that God would have you to say, that God would have you to do. So nobody wants to waste their breath. And the first mindset that God would give us is to not... not live for people's acceptance, but instead to find our acceptance in God and not in them. But the second mindset is all about grace. It calls us to give more than we require. And this is interesting because many Christians will talk about grace and they believe in something called grace, but their lives are so characterized by obligation and expectation that people don't really hear grace. In order for our message and our words to have impact in people's lives, we need to give more than we require. I'm not sure what image you have of the Apostle Paul. It, it takes a pretty tough, hard individual to be stripped and beaten with rods, imprisoned in one town, and then to walk straight into the next town and do the exact same thing. You, you have to have a certain toughness about you, right? You, you have to be pretty rugged. And people that are like that can be a little, a little rough around the edges. They can be a little hard. They can be a little tough and demanding. And, and that's what makes Paul's words in verses 6 and 7 so remarkable. In verse 6, he says, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. He, he could have thrown his weight around. He could have leaned on his titles and his, uh, his status as an apostle. He could have placed expectations on them. But he says, we didn't do that. Instead, he says in verse 7, that we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. This, this tough hardened missionary, this uh, apostle who is on, at one set ready to be beaten with rods for the sake of the gospel could turn around and show this tenderness and warmth. He could show a gentleness towards uh, believers. He was caring and warm. He was patient and nurturing. He didn't throw his weight around. 
He didn't lean on his status or his titles. And so his ministry was intensely personal. He got close to the Thessalonians. In verse 8, he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. They felt like they knew him. They felt like he had entered into into their lives. He didn't just preach a few sermons and move on, but he invested in them. He was personal with them. And it made the words he shared that much more personal and that much more powerful. He also went out of his way not to overburden them, not to put so much obligation and expectation on them that they would miss the free grace of the gospel. Watch what he says in verse 9. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Uh, He could have, for instance, taken up an offering for his expenses. Obviously, as a traveling missionary, as he went from place to place, he had to feed himself. He needed a place to stay. He needed uh, traveling expenses. He, He would have those needs that any person would have. And it would have been so easy and culturally Uh, uh, acceptable and expected, frankly, for him to take up an offering for his expenses. He could have done that, and yet he deliberately chose not to. He chose not to because he said, if I come here and I proclaim a free message of grace, if I share how God has generously and freely offered salvation that comes not by our hard work and, and effort and performance, but through faith alone, and then I follow that with my appeal for money, people will think that the only reason I came here was to, to pad my, my pocketbook for me to get more money. And so he deliberately didn't require, so he would work all day um, in his tent-making trade, and then he would minister to the church at night. He worked hard and labored that he might not burden them, that he might not put expectations upon them. And although his ministry was, in a sense, unique, he had a unique calling, in another sense, each one of us has been given a similar calling. We have been called to share a message of good news, a message of grace, a message of free forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. But the problem is we can undermine that free message of grace if our life doesn't reflect that grace. If you were to ask the people around you, the people in your life, would they describe you as gracious? Would they describe you as a generous person? Someone who made sacrifices of your life so that you don't burden the people that you are hoping to influence? Would people describe you as, as, as that person that, that takes, takes the burden and toil upon yourself to communicate to the people that you have been called to influence and impact and reach something of the grace and generosity of God? Do they feel that through your life? Do you give more than you require? Do you sacrifice in such a way that somehow points people to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? That they might not only hear grace, 
but see grace in your life. And while you're thinking about that, think about if you have children, would your, how, how would your children see your life as it was evaluated on that, that standard of grace? Would they, would they describe you as a gracious person? Would they see that, that the expectations and the obligations so outweigh the grace and forgiveness that, that they see in your life that it's hard for them to hear the good news of the gospel? That it's hard for them to really see that this message that you believe and this Savior that you cling to is really one who brings free and gracious good news. Have your expectations and obligations so weighed them down that it's hard for them to see the gospel anymore. We need to give more than we require. And that's not saying that we don't require things. The Bible requires things of our children. The, Bi- the Bible puts on expectations and obligations uh, of, of those who would follow him, and we would do right to uh, make those uh, requirements of our children. But it's a question of balance. Do we give more than we require? Do we make the kind of sacrifices that will point our children to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Do they see grace in us that they will hear grace when we proclaim it? So if we're going to have the influence God created us to have, we need to find our acceptance in God, not in people. We need to give more than we require. Finally, we need to be the book that we teach. Our lives ultimately need to reflect the message that we proclaim. People need to see in us the truths that we want to express. We need to be the book that we teach, or we're just wasting our breath. Watch what's going on in verse 10. Paul says, You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. He calls them witnesses, and in so doing, he invokes the language of a courtroom. He recognizes that as he went into that town, they were hearing his words to some extent, but he recognized that his life was on trial, not just his words. That they were, in a sense, being gathered together to evaluate his life, to be a witness to to the reality of the message that he had. He knew that there were certain things he'd be able to say to them, but he just had a short time. There would only be so many words that would get communicated, and there would be so much more that he would have to show them. There would be so much more that they would have to see in his life in order for their their lives to be impacted. His life would either undermine his message or his life would illustrate his message. And the same is true of you, the same is true of me. Because of that, he says, he was holy, righteous, and blameless in his conduct toward them. He also got close enough to them they could see his life. They They were able to get close and personal. When I explained that Paul was only with them for a few weeks, you might get the impression, oh, I get it. Paul just kind of came into town, preached a few sermons, and off he went. But that's not what's going on. 
In verse 11, he describes how personally he related to them. He's already compared himself in verse 7 to a nursing mother with with her children. Now in verse 11, he says that he was like a father with his children, personal with them, tender with them. He got close to them. And it's important because we live in a very impersonal age. We live in an age when relationships are very efficient. We organize them in such a way that we can get the most that we want out of them with the least possible time. And the way that we do that is we keep distance from people so that we can just have that little slice of time with people that we need and not burden ourselves with anything more. But when our relationships become so efficient that we become impersonal and distant from people, then we will find that in those relationships we will look back and say, I've wasted my hours. I'm not really sure I made any impact. I'm not sure I influenced in the way that I ought to have. We need to get close enough that people can see the pages, read the pages, and we need to be the book that we teach. We need to to embody the truths that we are trying to communicate, and we need to be close enough that people can read them. But our lives will ultimately either support the message, uh, but they're not going to replace it. it. It's popular today to talk about just showing people what we what we what we proclaim, not actually saying it. We don't not necessarily need words. But in verse 12, after comparing himself to a father with his children, Paul adds, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Notice how he's piling up those, those, those words, uh, those phrases, exhorted, encouraged, charged, to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Those are hard words to say to somebody that you've just barely met, right? It it takes some courage to to speak to a group of people and speak to some individuals that you have have very little history with, and Paul had very, he's meeting them for the first time, to have very little history with and to say those kinds of things. Those were hard words to share. But Paul knew that if they didn't hear those hard words from, from him, they would be left vulnerable. They would be, they would be people that just didn't have enough truth to live on. They wouldn't have enough truth to sustain them when the difficult times came. Today, people like to talk as if our message is optional. We'll just show them. But if we, if we conclude that we just show them without actually saying anything, then all that we're showing them is that we don't have the courage enough to say the things that need to be said. Or maybe the, maybe the real message that's getting communicated is that we don't really value that message enough to share it. Th- those are the things that get expressed when we don't have the courage to say the things that God would have us to say. You could probably think back over people who have impacted your life. I, I think back over people who have impacted my life. And 
a number of these qualities that we've been talking about, I can see illustrated in their lives. With all of them, they were people who had the courage to tell me what I needed to hear. Like The people who have really influenced me are people who were willing to say hard things to me. One of them was uh, a, a man who mentored me when I first became a Christian. His name was Eric Rose. And although I would say that he, would, he said many of the difficult things that I needed to hear, I don't think Eric would describe himself as naturally bold. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't the kind of person that kind of walked into a room and, and kind of commanded everyone's attention. He was just kind of quiet and unassuming. But when I think of Eric... I always get the impression that God was the most important person. It didn't, didn't matter who was around, what was going on. It just seemed that God was more important than anyone else that, was on, on, that could have been on his radar. And that freed him up to say the things that he felt God wanted him to say. It, it, it gave him the courage to deal with things in my life that might not otherwise have gotten dealt with. And I'm grateful that he did. But as he did, he did it with gentleness and concern. He poured his life into me. He, he sacrificed his time for me. And, and in so doing, he showed both a genuine love and concern, but he, he, he kind of em, just embodied the, the good news of the gospel. He, he sacrificed for me even as he was telling me about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He spoke grace and truth to me. And, and his life reflected that grace. It, it, it gave me a picture of that truth. He allowed me to get close enough that I could see the things in his life that mattered to him. And, and I, could, I could be a part of what I saw God doing in his life. And I'm grateful for that personal impact that he made. As I think back, his life inspired me. His life, he made me want to grow. He made me want to change. He made the maturing process attractive. He made me want to know, know Christ more. And I think ultimately that's what this passage is all about. And, and ultimately it's what, what making a difference with our lives is all about. To somehow through our words and through the life that supports and reflects and illustrates those words, to communicate to people something of the beauty of knowing Christ and what he can do in a person's life. As I look at how Eric Rose made me want to know Jesus more, I recognize that without him, uh, without knowing Christ, that is, without, without Jesus, all of the things that we've talked about this morning really are impossible. In ourselves, we're all cowards, right? In ourselves, we don't have the courage to say the things that we need to say. In, our, in ourselves, we shrink back from the opportunities to respond to what God would have us to do. In ourselves, we're too focused on what people think. In ourselves, we're too demanding and selfish, right? We, grace doesn't come naturally to any, any one of us. Our natural mindset is expectation, obligation. 
That, that's how we're wired. We, we don't think grace naturally. In ourselves, it's impossible for us to model the gospel. In ourselves, we undermine the message that God would have us to share. And I think that's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a crazy statement because we run around our lives doing all kinds of things, thinking that we've accomplished so much. We have our checklists, we, we, we cross the things off, and we come to the end of the day and we think, wow, look at all I've done. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's because we can check off all of the boxes and still accomplish nothing of significance, nothing that will last Nothing that will point people to him. Nothing that will model the gospel, that will show grace, that will make people want to know Jesus more. Because without him, we can do nothing. The, the good news of this passage, though, is that the opposite is also true. The flip side is also true. Because with him, when we are connected by faith in Jesus Christ, focused on what he would do through us, all of those limitations that I just talked about melt away. It becomes what the power of God unleashed in and through our lives can now accomplish in the lives of our children, in the lives of our neighbors, in the lives of our co-workers. So let's show them more of Jesus. Let's focus less time checking off the boxes and more time connecting ourselves to Christ and seeking what God would do in and through our lives in seeking to touch and reach the people that he's placed around us and which are dear to us. Let's give them more of Jesus. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, none of us wants to waste our hours. None of us wants to look back with regret at the way we've spent our lives and the way that we've missed the opportunities that you've given. So help us to live lives of impact. Help us to influence the people you've put around us. Give us the courage to Focus our hearts on your good pleasure and on what you're seeking to do through our lives. Help us to embody grace. Help us to be generous and gracious. To share our lives in such a way that people see in us the message we speak. Help us to make sacrifices that point people to Jesus' sacrifice. And help us not try to do it alone. Connect our lives to Christ the way a branch is connected to a vine. And let his life-giving spirit flow through us for your glory. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.